Blog Talk Radio. Last night I saw a lunar eclipse in the sky. Then something happened in my mind's eye. I saw you in a whole different light. Clearly, really, it's not that I want you to change. It's more that I want you to stay the same. Oh, and I do want you to stay the same. I want you to stay right here with me. I'm selfish that way. You know how it works. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Radio Red, and on Monday nights, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, this is my little corner of the world. I call my show Read My Lips, and you know you have to listen carefully because you can't see mine or those of my very interesting guests. I've got two very, very, very diverse topics to present to you today. We're going to call it the ending and the beginning, or maybe the beginning of the ending and the beginning of the beginning, something like that. I'll tell you about them in just a moment. We're going to be talking to a lady who has experienced grief in her life, some very deep and profound grief, lost of several loved ones, and she decided that People just aren't thinking about this in the right way. Where does the mind and spirit end, the body start, the other way around, the body ends, the spirit starts? How do you approach death? No, we're not going to get down and cry for the next hour. Don't worry about that. We're going to talk about taking charge of your life and planning for the end. So we could call that the beginning of the end. Spare your family the details when they're really going to be sad and they don't want to deal with who gets your silverware and the fancy napkins and the china. They really don't, trust me. So we're going to be talking in the first half to Judy Herzog Schmielarge. And she spelled it out for me, and I think I have it right, and she'll tell us when I bring her on. Second half, I have a man who has a very easy name. It's Mike Hayes. Mike found me online, approached me and said, Hey, Bonnie, I want to be on your show. I want to talk about a new word in raising money for projects. It's called crowdfunding. Funding. Now, many of you listening out there might have heard of crowdsourcing, yeah, putting great minds together and coming up with what we call content in the business world, you know, stuff you can read and grab and wrap your mind around. Well, crowdfunding, I bet many of you listening right now and who will listen to the podcast have been approached by somebody online and said, hey, I've got a new record, I've got a CD, I'm trying to write a play, I'm trying to launch a little movie here. I need money. Why don't you chip in? I'll put your name in the credits. I'll send you a couple of umbrellas. I'll polish your shoes for three years, that kind of thing. Well, we're going to talk to Mike. He's an expert in crowdfunding, and we're going to talk to him about his experience as an NBC TV and radio writer, producer, director, man after my own heart. I wish I had gotten that far. And he was a CNN TV news correspondent in L.A. and on and on and on. He even knows Tony Robbins. We'll talk about that later. So that's my lineup for today. You don't want to go anywhere because right now you know I'm going to do some shout-outs and tell you about the famous birthdays and movies. I have a movie review. So shout-outs to Lorna and Dune. My beautiful Kaylee, happy birthday post from last week. My big kahuna, our new special artist in the family, who has just had two of her paintings admitted to a juried ex- exhibition in Jacksonville, Florida. My dancer extraordinaire, my violinist, and Dr. Pepper. And congratulations to Monkey and the dance team. You know who you are. We have a sad shout-out. Just learned today that my ex, let's see, my late ex-husband's sister's ex-husband, 
Wayne Gaffney passed away on Saturday. Nobody knew how ill he was, so sending blessings to the children and the family and to Aunt Jane. And let's see, we have some birthdays before I get to the movies. Oh, Molly Ringwald was born today, February 18th in 1968. Sometimes ladies do tell their age, or it's taken out of their hands. Matt Dillon, the actor, was born today. Banna White, I'll take three vowels, please, Banna. 1957, John Travolta. Saturday Night Fever. I don't know if he's still doing that white coat thing. Let's see. Sybil Shepherd. What a day for celebrity birthday. Sybil Shepherd born today. Yoko Ono Lennon born in 1933. Milos Forman, the filmmaker. How about Toni Morrison, the writer? George Kennedy, the actor. We have Helen Gurley Brown was born today. Bill Cullen. I think Bill Cullen was the first um, host of The Price is Right, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe something else. Jack Palance, whose original name was Vladimir Paluknik. Mm-hmm, I can do that. And Shalom Aleichem was born today in 1859, but who's counting? Movies, guess what? I saw Identity Thief. Jason Bateman, still makes my heart go pretty pat. And Melissa McCarthy, I think she gained an extra 50 over her usual Mike and Molly weight. She is just a knockdown, drag out, sock them, wrap them down, uh, shoot them, kick them, do anything you can to get your way. It's a kind of a shockingly violent, funny character. I, I slogged through the movie, made it to the end, feel good at the end. Not sure what was really up to a Jason Bateman-Melissa McCarthy pairing, but see it for yourself. The kid who sold me the ticket tried to warn me. People are coming out and shaking their heads. I don't know if you want to go in. I went in. Not so bad. A couple of laughs along the way. Okay, it's time to get down to business here. I want to introduce my first guest. It's Judy Herzog. That far I can get Schmielars, C-H-M-I-E-L-A-R-Z. Her book is called Because... I love you. Make your own arrangements and spare your loved ones, but the subtext is, for God's sake, communicate before you go. Hi, Judy. Welcome to Read My Lips. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. I'm great. It's nice to be here with you. Thank you very much. I think I did that whole intro without taking a breath. I'm going to take a breath now. I was going to (gasps) say. Okay. Yes, it's always a marathon to get it all in. So, Judy, tell me, because I love you, make your own arrangements to spare your loved ones. Give us a little bit of your history. How did you come to write this little book? What were you thinking? And and we'll we'll get to your message for the audience later. But talk a little bit about your own brush with grief and or your brushes with grief and how it came to your attention that people need some help planning. Talk to me. Well, I was married for 10 years, and unfortunately my husband passed away. I right. um, I got married later in life. Mhm. Uh, he was a wonderful gift and I thought okay, my later years I'm going to grow old with this man and unfortunately he died young and uh, I was left with our son who was only 4 years old. Mm. And I being a very spiritual person, you know, did not blame God. I m- felt that it was meant you know, that everything happens for a reason. So, but I still was searching for guidance and going to different uh, groups to, you know, to get um, comfort. Mm-hmm. And it, it just wasn't working for me. What was out there was not working for me personally. Um, I did attend a grief recovery program, which is out in California, and that, that was wonderful. I came back, and I was feeling better, and it swings. And then I started writing. One day I just sat down with a pen, actually pencil and yellow pad. Oh, good for and, you, the old-fashioned uh, way. Yes, uh, that really connects with me, even to this day. I prefer to write with a pencil and uh, the yellow, those big yellow pads with the lines. And uh-huh. I meditated, and it's, it just came. 
it was just flowing. The words, it just needed to come out. And uh, I felt very, very uh, deep passion for helping people. I I was very blessed that um, in the misery of losing someone, I had time with my husband, time to prepare, time Mm -hmm. to talk to him about what, you know, he wanted um, when his time was coming. And I know it's a very uncomfortable subject for most people. Oh, yeah. Especially in this country, you know, the thought, the word death, so dying, you know, it's like we all want to put our heads in the ground. Um, I'm not that way. Uh, For me, for whatever reason, I came into this world, and I'm I'm okay with that stuff. Um, But nobody wants to die. You know, we all want to live to 120 or longer. I just uh, heard about a woman that lived to 108. She's still living, (laughs) and she Mm. looks great. Mm. But I think that my real purpose in writing this was not about, and when your listeners hopefully will, you know, look at the book, uh, they will see that it's like little tidbits. You know, it's a taste mm-hmm. of pre-planning. I'm not a pre-planner. You know, that's not my position. But I want to get people, I want to inspire people to say, okay, you know, I need to do this. And it's not about waiting till you're 60 or 70. It's about doing it even in your 20s. It's about beginning to communicate, to really verbalize what you want with your loved ones, with your parents, you know, getting things out. What do you think of me to your parents? You know, having communication. It's not only about what they want when their time comes. It's about throughout the lifetime really having conversations that people tend to shy away from. And in those conversations, it should also be about, you know, what do you want when that time comes many years from now? Because children, are they feel guilty. They, they don't want to ask their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, That's right. When I say children, right. I don't mean adult children. They don't want to bring that up when their parents are in their 70s or, you know, 60s. They feel, oh, they think I'm after their money or whatever. But the reality is that if it's not brought up and not taken care of, then there are problems afterwards. Children get into fights with their siblings. There's all kinds of estrangements, and items are lost because there are no documentation of the items. So the main thing is that if people would begin to understand that it doesn't take long to do all this, and then once it's done, you get on with the joy of living. It's just hard to start. I was going to say, Judy, that uh, I have an acquaintance, a friend who is, I do some marketing work for her. I did for for a couple of years, and she's an estate planning attorney and an elder law attorney. And one of her blogs I helped her edit was about preparing. But what's interesting is the preparation for end of life would be the legal documents, your power of attorney, where what's your official birth date, where were you born, the things that people assume they know about their parents, but with very elderly parents, especially people who immigrated here from other countries, you may not have all those details. And for younger parents who might not might be of the, so we say, the digital age, where are your passwords and where are your bank exactly. accounts and where are the exactly. keys to all the stuff? Not I want to go raid your safe deposit box, Mom and Dad, but where in the hell are we going to find all this stuff if it's part of your estate? So this is something that's being addressed by attorneys, but your book took it a little bit deeper, and I was intrigued by that, Judy. You talk about the everyday, the things in the cabinet, the things in the closet, the the dishes, the glassware, the silver 
outer wear, maybe the linen napkins, maybe the menorah, or maybe the, the, the crest for Christmas ornaments, Christmas decorations for celebrations. What do you want us to do with all of those? And whether it's there might be some heirloom items in there that have emotional, deep emotional and, and uh, sentimental value for family members, one or more not to be fought over, hopefully. Or there might be things that have practical value, you mentioned in your book, Judy, well, to right. shelters and right. to, to people who don't have at all. Uh, that that glass set of glassware that used to be 12 is now 5 could help somebody who can't afford any, right? Exactly. And, and, and it's so difficult, when, especially in the beginning when you lose someone, to even think about that because suddenly you become very attached to everything. Mm-hmm. Everything that's, represents that's a, them. And the truth right. is that it makes, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to be like the mother of everybody to help them protect them. It's really that way with me. I see that. So I want to protect people from having to go through that because, you know, people have a hard time meditating. A lot of people have a hard time meditating, I find. And I'm using that example here because this is, a, when you're in that state, when you lose somebody, you're, you are already like meditating. You're in another level. It's that mm-hmm. simple. You are in a different world. Yes. Spaced out. Yes. And that's kind of like the world without the grief that you're you're in when you allow yourself to meditate. So it's a different dimension, and you're living that. You know, you don't care about the day to day things that everyone's functioning. They're getting up. They're going to work. You're in grief, and in that space, the last thing you need is to have to look up someone's social security number. Or have to decide what you're going to do with those four glasses that don't match. So if it's all documented, simply quickly, this you know, give this to the the poor, you know, donate this to the the women in need, whatever organization. Just one word, you write it down, it's done. Right. And you know, there have been studies. There's actually it was on one of the uh, major shows. I think it was Dateline a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Wisconsin, there is a hospital, Gunderson Lutheran. And they do something called the conversation. So when people come in who are ill, now this is totally, you know, they're they're sick, they right. know they're, gonna, they're terminal. They have the conversation with the, the their loved ones with the, the person who's ill. You know, where oh. are we going here? What's yes. going to be down the line? And what they have found is that these people land up living longer because once this, I, these items are done and it's out of the way, you can get on with the joy of living whatever level you're on. And, again, it's not about, oh, my God, I have to sit down and decide, you know, what my funeral. You you do what you can. It's quick. And you can find humor in it. I mean, truthfully, you can find humor. When I finally, the person came to our house and we sat down and I, I mean, I would have bought the most expensive casket because that was our, my husband and I's choice. We, you know, we were going to be buried in the casket. And, um, well, he was going to be at that point. Mm-hmm. And I would have picked the most expensive. And, you know, he he yeah. wanted this because of his religious beliefs. And we, I mean, we were laughing at the end, even though this, you know, for the moment is what I'm trying to say. It's not a funny thing, but it becomes almost, it just becomes once you're in it and once you're doing it, it's not, it's like getting a shot. And people are afraid of the needle, <laughs> but it's like one, two, three, and it's done. And the yeah. relief that you've, you know, you've protected your your items that are really important to you. You've protected your children so that they're not going to fight when you're gone. There's no mystery of what's going on. Um, and so that relieves guilt for the children. 
Judy, there, there's something else in your book, all, all well put, and I appreciate that. And there's something else you said that, that's very hard to discuss, but you did bring it up. Two things I want to talk about. Number one is what are you going to wear if you're going to be buried in, in your body? What are you going to wear? And that's always, I imagine, a very hard decision. Did she, One daughter might say she liked the blue dress. The other says, no, she liked the red dress. Well, should we put the crystal earrings on? No, we should put the pearl earrings on her. And that could be another source of contention that nobody really thinks about. So your point is, what, to say this is what I want to be buried in? These are the clothes, the jewelry, yeah, the know, shoes, the whole, the whole thing. And make, you can make humor of it. You know, Again, I am not about the dread. I am about life. I'm about the mm-hmm. the light and life. So you can say in a conversation, even, you know, jokingly around, you know, when the time comes, you know, you want to be in pajamas, you know, what would you like? You know, a, a simple <laughs> conversation. Because like you just said, the siblings, one's going to say, well, don't bury her in those pearl earrings because I want those pearl earrings. That, that's true. And that's then the true. other that's, one's going to say, right. you selfish, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, it's it's endless. But, well, you know, the I old expression, Judy, the old expression goes, you can't take it with you. But, in fact, if you're going in a casket, you can and you will. And, well, you and wonder that's a, if a very interesting thing. Another thing, talking about the conversation, Judy, you mentioned in your book is very often we have regrets. And this is not only for the person who is left behind, but the person who is planning their end. You have conversations you can't have in life because they're just too difficult. Family rifts and com- and competitions and uh, miscommunications and jealousies over the years. So you're suggesting just sit down and write something that you always wanted to tell someone, even if you couldn't bring yourself to do it eyeball to eyeball during your lifetime, so that it can be part of what you leave behind. I really admired you, or this is why I didn't want you to move to Pasadena, or I never really liked your schmucky boyfriend, and I'm glad you didn't marry him, or something that that you leave behind some things that you might not be able to say. How important is that, Judy? That is very important because you're releasing it. You know, there are relationships out there that are toxic to us, and no matter how you're going to change yourself, that other person is not going to change unless they choose to. And those are toxic relationships, and you just cannot have a day-to-day relationship with that person. But you can write things down. You can leave them something, and you release it for yourself. And then they have something to look at and let go as well. But not doing anything, Mm -hmm. there's that question. And I have had people come to me, and they're filled Again, they've lost the person, and now they've got questions, unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. I can imagine this would work even at a different level. I'm, I'm thinking out loud, obviously, here. Um, if, let's say, that somebody passed away and they're, let, let's say, a father of your children or a grandfather in the family, and there were things you never shared with that person's children and grandchildren or some other relatives, that it could be part of your legacy to say this is how I felt about or this person had a major impact on my life. I wanted the family to know about it in a calm way. I'm writing an anecdote for you. How about that, Judy? Would that work? That's beautiful. And, you know, the thing is you can your audience, they can sit down and start to write questions. And let me set a goal. You know, I'm going to, get, I'm going to ask this question the next time we're together or the, and get, these, get answers to questions. One of the things that I didn't get to ask my father uh, was, you know, if he could have changed, there are certain things I know if he could have changed, he would have in his life. But mm-hmm. there were others I would have, I would have liked to know. 
I would have liked to know that answer. And I didn't get to ask him that. I mean, I still, I'm not walking around with guilt or regrets. I had wonderful conversations because, again, for me, in my loss of my parents and my husband, I was given the gift of time. But some people don't have that. They just, they're gone. No. They're, no. And that, that, to me, is like, to me, even to me, who I haven't experienced that, is like, I don't know how to deal with that. You know, that that's why I get yeah. it out, you know. And people are afraid of, they say, confrontation. Confrontation, and there is a chapter in the book, is uh-huh. healthy. It's a healthy if you do it from a I p- position, you know. I need to know this. I need answers, not you did this to me. If you come from that place, uh-huh. I do consulting with people on that. I do consulting with people getting them started. I do phone consulting. I do email consulting, all kinds of consulting to get people, get the fire under them to help them start this conversation you know, get it going, and the most important thing that I can't stress enough is that it doesn't have to be difficult. You know, mm-hmm. we it's like, like I said, it's like that needle. You know, you're, oh, my God, this is going to really hurt, and it's a pinch. There is something that I really want to talk about yes, related to all this. It is about children that turn 18. And okay. I have found in me. my world, and um, I have a son that's going to be turning that soon, once we're 18, you know, we are uh, legal in a lot of ways, and it's really important to have a designation of a health care surrogate set up oh. for that teenager as well as a durable power of attorney because if they get sick and they're in the hospital and they, they're in a concussion or something and they're not capable of making decisions for themselves, the HIPAA law does not allow them, their parents, to get in, involved. You have to go through a legal guardianship, and most people don't know this. So, I would agree. And so this is a really, I want your audience to really get this. This is Check it out, whatever state you're in, with your attorney. If you have a, a trust or a will, especially that, that estate plan, I don't know why they don't. Maybe there's an estate planner listening. Why they they should have when they know how old your child is. Who do my own? You know, mm-hmm. when I did my planning, you know, my son was maybe seven or eight, and the second time I did it, they should have a document. Oh, we need to contact Judy. You know, when her son turns eighteen or before, so we can get her to do these things. I found this out on my own, and it's really important. Because, it sounds you know, like I life think. planning. And, and Chapter 14 in your book, Judy, you make a point of saying that we live in a pre-planning society, which is interesting. Somebody announces a wedding engagement. They might plan the wedding one, two, three, four years in advance. Everything is mapped out. Who is going to do what roles and responsibilities, getting a budget? We'll talk to talk to Mike about crowdfunding for weddings in a minute, um, perhaps. Let's we'll see what kind of wedding that would turn out to be. And we we plan everything. We plan uh, a child's going to go to college, and you know the steps, right? You know mm-hmm. where you're going to look. You're going to figure out what they think their career plans might be and what their grades are and what the budget is in the family and how far they want to travel and if you want them to be on a at a college that's a plane ride away or a car ride away or a train ride away. And you start drawing up the parameters for where you're going to search. And it's all very mapped out and planned so that by the time the 
child has applied and figures out where they got into, then your world is narrowed a little bit. Then you can figure out well, how big is the dorm room and how how, how many beds <laughs> how many beds are going to be in the room and how many sheets can we send with them and how many towels can we send and are they going to have room for a microwave and how many bookcases and was the furniture look going to look like? So we are in a you're right we're in a very pre planning. We plan what's next when we're alive, but we don't think very often about the difficult things of afterwards. Now, Judy, I know it's very important to you in your philosophy that the body is what goes in the ground or is cremated or in the mausoleum, wherever your choice is, that the spirit goes on. Just talk to me about that for a minute, Judy. When did you come to that conclusion or or embrace that belief that only the physical goes and the spiritual lives on. Talk to me about that future planning. Okay. Well, that for me personally, and this is only for me, I'm not here preaching, mm-hmm. but I came into this world knowing that. I, I wish in my life I was so sure about other things, but for me personally, I believe that. And I have had experiences with clients that sometimes, you know, people that they've loved, they're there with us. It's just amazing to me that I, I just have had proof personally. And I think when you open your mind to that possibility that other people will have those experiences too. I don't think that I'm any special, you know, have, came in with any special skills. I think that we're too busy being out there, and especially with the the technology of today, we're so busy out there that we're not inside ourselves. And the truth is that we are Scientifically, it's been proven that we are energy, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. we are affected. We already know we're affected by the moon. There's, it's been proven. You can go to a hospital and you see the changes when there's a full moon, the tides, and it's all connected. And so if you can allow your mind to just expand and understand that, okay, there, it's more. It's, there's more than just this body. And coming from that perspective... It maybe is not so scary because we don't, you know, we think of death. I mean, many times when I was little, little, I remember thinking, oh, death, the end, the end. It's scary. Mm-hmm. You know, when people say it's the end, that's a very horrific way to think of it, that there's never going to sure. be anything else. And nobody really knows, including me. I don't really know. But isn't it better to think, well, maybe, maybe there is the possibility that we don't really die that there'll be some energy, there'll be some connection. And since we don't know, it's just a healthier way to look at life and to look at the other side. And coming from that perspective, maybe we can delve into this subject of pre-planning this, because this is only the thing, the only thing that is a guarantee. All the other stuff, the bar mitzvahs, the weddings, the christenings, (laughs) we don't know for sure if they're happening. Okay, but what we do know, this is the only guarantee. One day, hopefully many, many years from now, it'll be over. You know, it will, mm-hmm. this lifetime will be over. This physical energy will just dissipate. But there is, the, there is. There you have it. <laughs> I want to give your website, Judy, so people can go and see. You have a very interesting cover on your book, too, and then you and I are going to get ready in about three minutes to welcome Mike Hayes. Beautiful picture of you, your beautiful smile and your beautiful dark eyes. And the website is Because I Love You, the book. I'm even going to spell that. B-E-C-A-U-S-E-I-L-O-V-E-Y-O-U-T. 
T-H-E-B-O-O-K.com. Let me count the letters here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12, 34, 56, 18, 19, 20, 22.com. That's very, very interesting. That's one of the longer URLs. And there's a, a pretty picture of Judy and then the book. The book cover is interesting to me. You have a, uh, looks like a woman with dark hair holding a little boy on her shoulders. And it looks like a grandfather on the left whose picture has been weighted or grayed out so that he's there but not really. Is that the the intention, is that he's he's left them? Well, actually, that's not the grandfather. That's the father. Okay. My husband was an, had three grown kids when I met him. Um, he was 13 years older than me. But he oh, was, my goodness. He was in his 50s. And um, he wanted, believe me, he wanted me to have a child. He insisted that I have a child. And you were and 42. And he actually said to me, what if something happens to me I want you to have? Oh, my word. So and this so is someone, Abe. Excuse me? This is Abe on the cover? Yes. And that's oh, the back of my head, and that's my that. son when he was little. I someone took that, that picture. Someone took that wow. picture. Wow. And I loved the picture, and I had it just faded. For, it's beautiful. I didn't know. You. I didn't know. Oh, my goodness. Your little boy is gorgeous. Thank you. Wow. Very, very personal. Very, very personal. Judy, we're going to expand this personal conversation in about 30 seconds here. We're going to bring on, and thank you for sharing your thoughts and your wishes to everybody. These are difficult conversations, Judy. These are a difficult concept. I know it took courage for you to put it in your book and to talk about it. And, and is your profession grief counseling or educating, or what do you do professionally, Judy? Well, I am a grief educator, okay. and I am also a regression, past-life regression therapist. Ah. And I do consulting. I do consulting. That's really a strong part of my business, and it's done online. It's done, you know, through phone phone conversations to get people. They have problems with this to do the confrontation, to get the conversation going. And I, I help them. I help their families. If they're local, I meet with the families, and I get them to start the conversation. And it, it helps. It really does. And I'm looking at the contact page on your website, and it's judylistens at bellsouth.net, and there's a phone number, too. So it's J-U-D-Y-L-I-S-T-E-N-S at bellsouth, one word, dot net. So you're you're not kidding about this. You're really there. Very, very interesting. So now it's time for Judy and Bonnie to, on the count of three, and let me just turn his microphone on and say, welcome, Mike Hayes. Are you ready, Judy? Yes, I'm going to count. Okay, here we are. Welcome. Wait a minute. Hold on, let me get everybody's mics on here. Hold on. I pushed the wrong button, and here we go on the count of, wait, okay, on the count of three, welcome Mike Hayes. One, two, three. Welcome, welcome Mike, Mike Hayes. Hi, Mike. Well, welcome that to was the exactly the way you described it would be. <laughs> How are you, Mike? I'm good, ladies. It was a very good show. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, so far, it's only the first half. You're the second half, kiddo. Hey. So put on your dancing shoes and your, your fedora, and let's let's get out on the stage here. Do you have anything you want to say to Judy, Shmi, Lars, before we move into your topic, my case? Oh, she's a tough act to follow. She's got a good story. It's very meaningful, especially for uh, baby boomers who are losing you know parents uh, pretty mm-hmm. quickly. I just lost my mom, so I wanted to uh, Sorry. Uh, thank uh, Judy I, as you were talking and gave us a three-minute warning that gave me enough time to type up her entire uh, um, URL, so I went and visited her website as you were describing the uh, mm-hmm. book, and uh, 
Yeah, it it, it is a striking picture, and uh, I agree with you. I've been a practicing Buddhist since 1972, and I definitely uh, don't think this is it. I just can't conceive that this is the end. So uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think we'll have uh, many uh, lives ahead of us, hopefully. Very interesting. Practicing Buddhism. Yeah. And what can I ask what you were before, Mike, before you embraced Buddhism, if that's the right term? Oh, uh, well, I, you're right. I mean, I, I was uh, 12 years of Catholic school um, mm-hmm. and still go to Mass. So I believe that you can be a Buddhist and uh, Catholic. And, uh, you know, I've studied a lot of different philosophies uh, in my life. Uh, but Buddhism is a practice. And, uh it's about chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, and it's about the uh, devotion to the mystic law of cause and effect to sound vibration. And uh, it's a real cool way to really get in rhythm with life and your nature. And like I did it today. So I'm still practicing Buddhism after I was introduced to it in good old New York City back in 1972. Oh, my goodness. The New York City, the home of all profound changes. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that one for. Well, yes, the well, cool thing about New York, you go there, and uh, whoever you thought you were, you find out who you really were, because, you know, you're kind of invisible in New York, and your true nature, I think, is going to come out in New York one way or the other. It had better, and for those of us that were born and raised here and still live here, OMG, we, we find out every day, and if we don't, we just blend in too. Um, Mike, I'm going to I'm going to thank Judy. Judy, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stick around. I'm not going to mute your mic. I'll bring you into the con- Mike, Mike, Mike. It's Mike all the time. Uh, I'm going to bring you into the conversation in a little while, but I want to focus on crowdfunding, and I have a feeling Judy's going to have some questions and comments for you, Mr. Hayes. So, Mike Hayes, you have a very interesting background, but I'm very interested in this new word. I'm looking here on Wikipedia, crowdfunding, two words. I don't know if it can be one, if it can be hyphenated. And let me just read this definition. Let's kick off from here. Crowdfunding or crowdfunding, one word, Alternately, crowdfinancing, equity crowdfunding, or hyperfunding describes the collective efforts of individuals who network and pool their money, usually via the Internet, I think that's the key here, to support efforts initiated by other people or organizations. Crowdfunding is used in support of a wide variety of activities, including disaster relief, citizen journalism, support of artists by fans, political campaigns, startup company funding, movies, free software development, inventions, and scientific research. Very interesting. And you sell small amounts of equity to many inventors. Very interesting, and, and it's uh, related to the Job Act, Jobs Act. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this, Mike Hayes, and what does crowdfunding mean to you? Okay, very good. Well, first of all, let me back up on the track a little bit and go back mm-hmm. to something you brought up, crowdsourcing, because mm-hmm. that, that's a key to everything. That's kind of where crowdfunding develops. There's actually multiple kinds of uh, crowdfunding, so let's get uh, clarity on that, first of all, because yes. I think that is what has created a lot of confusion and misconceptions and some controversy about uh, crowdfunding. So, uh, there's debt crowdfunding, there's rewards-based crowdfunding, and there's equity-based crowdfunding, which is not yet legal. So it was passed uh, as part of the JOBS Act. Uh, they stuck the Crowdfunding Act in, and they uh, 
they told the SEC that they wanted the SEC to come up with the uh, rules to make equity crowdfunding legal, and that's their job. They're working on it. They were supposed to have it done at the end of last year, but now it looks like it won't be done until the end of this year, so don't go out and start selling shares of your uh, your company oh, online, okay. and you'll find out that you're in trouble real quick. Uh, okay. So... What we have to do is deal with today's world, and today's yeah. world uh, is about rewards-based crowdfunding. And it, you know, it, the best way to describe it is think of PBS or uh, you know public mm-hmm. television. How they they go on, they do uh, uh, fundraising, and they say, look, if you'll send us hundred bucks, we'll send you uh, you know Doctor So and So's program, and it's worth exactly. two hundred bucks, right? Well, mm-hmm. now, every day, people can essentially ask for donations. But what the other thing that I'd like to bust another myth on is that it is not about uh, coming from a position of weakness with your hat in your hand and, and kind of begging for donations, okay. you know, like poor me or whatever. Um, let, let's take another look at it. Think of Donald Trump when he's building a new uh, – uh, office building or hotel or casino, he, even though he's a billionaire, still goes out and raises money for his next project. So uh, part of what I did when, during the years I was with uh, CNN, I also did a show called Keys to Success, mm-hmm. where I had the chance to interview the most successful entrepreneurs in America about how they became successful, people like Dick Clark, uh, Joe Montana, Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple Computers, right. um, Charles Schultz, I mean, just hundreds of these, uh, Vidal Sassen. And so I've always been fascinated by um, entrepreneurs because I did not come from money. I, I went to a, uh, a university about a mile from my home, which I walked to while living in my parents' basement. And then I hitchhiked to New York and... Uh, got a job as an NBC page and rose up to the the uh, ranks to become an NBC uh, producer, director. And that was really a, my education. Traveled the world, there, covered every major sporting event. And it was really a very exciting time. Interviewed people like Margaret Mead, uh, you know, mm. of the uh, Natural History Museum and Cardinal sure. Cook. And it, it just, you know, it was just a, a dream come true. Uh, so I've always been fascinated by um, startups. And uh, what when I heard, because I've been um, helping small businesses uh, ever since I did that show, I learned that the media played a key role in their financial success, A, and B, I caught the bug, wanted to open my own company and wanted to make the media accessible and affordable to the small and medium-sized profit-oriented business. So after I opened my own business, uh, I got the chance to produce one of Tony Robbins' first TV commercials, and I mm-hmm. ended up taking one client to $200 million in sales. But as I say, that was then and this is now. The world's right. changed, and, and uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, redefined the economy. And, um, you know, the uh, White House is saying that most of the new jobs are going to come from startups. So... Uh, what I'm very excited about is crowdfunding by pre-selling both products and get this as yet unproduced products. 
So how do you what do that, is, Mike? Yeah. How do you how do you it, talk it, to it, it, It's really the key is the same thing about direct response on TV. People don't buy products; they buy a story about the product. They they give you the money, and then the product is dropped off by UPS weeks later. So that's really kind of the same thing about crowdfunding. That uh, let let's say um, Judy had not written her book yet. Um, mm-hmm. And she wanted to find out, was there a market for it? Well, okay. part of crowdfunding is crowdsourcing. You find out from like-minded people, hey, this is my expertise. Um, you know, I'm a grief counselor, and if I create a book, will you buy it, and will you support my efforts? And so they, they send you the money, you commit to writing the book and to delivering it. So it's really um, a reward with the donation, and then Judy wouldn't owe anybody gave her money or, uh, yeah, any money. She doesn't owe them. They don't own a piece of her company or book because it was a donation, just like CBS. When you make a donation, you don't own a piece of CBS. Right. Or Downton Abbey, for that way. matter. Mike, yeah. I have to ask you, if you do it this way, um, how do you protect your ideas? I've, I've worked with some inventors and somebody who is in, not only an inventor, but, but coaches and counsels inventors here on Long Island, and, and one of our topics that we, he's been on my TV and radio shows. One of the topics that comes up all the time, Mike, is how do you protect your idea? How do you put an NDA, non-disclosure? How do you make sure that if you go out there and say, hey, I'm Judy, and I'm, I'm a grief educator, and I have this great idea for an app, and I want to put it out there so families can have these conversations and make them less painful and it's going to be on your iPhone, it's going to be on your Android, on your tablet, it's really going to be cool, it'll be a buck ninety-nine, but I need $10,000 to develop it. What's to say one of those people who's interested in, in helping Judy doesn't say, oh damn, I can do that myself. How does she protect herself, Mike? Well, I think that's a good question and I'm going to give you a, a real world answer, not yeah. a legal answer, so I'm not an attorney and I'm sure there may Fair be enough. attorneys up there that will uh, disagree, but you know, ideas, frankly, for most part, are a dime a dozen. And out here in the Silicon Valley where I live, uh, their attitude is: look, it's not about the idea. It's he who works the fastest, the hardest, the mostest, uh, gets it out there. That the uh, market becomes your protection. That you get out there first and you build the name, you work harder than the next guy, but to think that an idea alone is going to sell itself, it just never happens that I've ever seen in all my years and working with thousands of startups. So really, uh, in fact, the best place to knock off an idea is the patent office. I mean, you go down and you steal the idea and then it's like, sue me. Uh, So, you know, again, I'm not an attorney, I'm not giving any legal advice, but I'm saying that it's about the person, as one venture capital said, it's all about. Our venture capitalist said it's all about people. The rest of it is just hooey. So if you've got a good <laughs> idea and it's you, and you're willing to work hard to promote it, you know it's not. It's about what you bring to the table. Are you the right person for that idea? Because that's where the investment comes from, and that's what's going to create success. Mike, how easy is it for somebody, and I'm going to read a couple of quotes from your uh, learnaboutcrowdfunding.com, and I'll give you several of your websites later on before we, well, actually we have about 18 minutes till the end. goes fast. Um, Mike, what does it take to get 
a crowdfunding project started? Do you need to go read a bunch of books? Do you need to buy a startup kit? You could do a little promotion here if that's what you do. But how does somebody take, how would Judy say, okay, wow, I was on Bonnie's show. I met Mike Hayes. This is really cool. I need money for the app. It's going to run me, let's say, ten grand for development. I don't have it right now. I want to have a crowdfunding project around this conversation, grief conversation app or whatever Judy's going to do. Uh, how would she start that? Well, there's no one answer to that because we have to put the uh, words in proper perspective. You have to have the word crowd in front of crowdfunding. So it kind mm-hmm. of depends on, on who Judy is. Now, uh, actually, Bonnie, with your show, you're probably in a much better position because uh, I don't know Judy. I don't know if she's got a radio show or if she's got a big existing crowd already. But basically, that's what it's about. It's about the crowd. Now, here's kind of how it works because there's two ways. One mm-hmm. is through social media. Now, yes. social media is free, but it's not free with your time. And you're, you have to have a skill set to do social media. And the problem today is most people either don't have the time that it takes to do a successful uh, social media marketing campaign, A, mm-hmm. or B, they don't have the money to do the advertising. So, um, you know, how do you kind of prime the pump? Well, I've been talking to a uh, uh, some startup um, internet radio companies about how internet radio, building an audience on internet radio is very much like building an audience for a crowdfunding campaign. And so I think you're in a great position to use your show to – a, create products, audio books, products, information products, digital products, downloadable products, which have no uh, cost of shipping and handling, mm-hmm. uh, to promote those products and to crowdfund for those products. So, you know, hmm. and then in, Internet radio can be very affordable, cost-effective, even free. There's some great uh, sites like lynda.com, L-Y-N-D, uh, uh, com where for 25 bucks a month, you can learn how to do any social media on the planet Earth, and uh, you can learn Facebook, Twitter, whatever you want, do it from home, do it yourself, or you have to hire a PR firm. Now, I have a partner who has just raised $1.8 million on Indiegogo for a little Bluetooth sticker that goes on your stuff and so that you can uh, associate it with your cell phone and find your stuff, your keys, your luggage, or whatever, uh, through this little app. And uh, right now, if, if anybody wants to go learn more, they should go to Indiegogo.com and search Stick and Find, and you'll see the campaign. That company's raised $1.8 million. Now, what is it? Stick and Find? Stick and Find. Like I'm there right now. Find. I see it. I see it. It's and by the way, I'm going to spell Indiegogo for those of you who are wondering. It's I N D I E G O G O dot com. Indi I N D I E Gogo G O G O dot com. Yeah. Okay, stick and find. Okay, uh, blue so he, tracker. He's now already range. in China and yeah. he's uh, yeah. creating the product right now, and then he's going to come back and you know, create jobs here, shipping and 
you know, a lot of different things Isn't are this going interesting. in. I see here, for example, uh, please return. All right, uh, let me do a non-political one here. Blue tracker, long-range Bluetooth GPS tracker with no monthly fees and water resistance. Stick and find, S-T-I-C-K-N-F-I-N-D. Technologies, Davie, Florida, U.S. The Blue Tracker has a range of over 250-something. They have raised $115,930, and they've got a thousand funders, and they're at 193 percent. So that means 93% over the full goal, and there are three days left. So this is how the so Indiegogo is about the campaigns, right? Yes, and that's the third straight product that she has done for them. The first one is called Stick and Find. Uh, that's the name of the company, but the little product, uh, they did about uh, $930,000 for that one product. It was so successful, they've already done two more. Now the company is at $1.8 million totally raised uh, by Indiegogo. I got it. I see the Stick and Find Bluetooth Power Ultra Small Location Stickers, and this one, the first one, raised 931970 1,331 percent. They had 12,314 funders. It's out of time. The second one raised 128,000. The third one is still going on with three days left, and they're up to 116,000. Whoa! I have to bring. I have to bring um, Judy. You want to say something now about this? Are, are, yes. you, are we boggling <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, very interesting. Uh, first of all, I want to get the name of that. It's, was it Lindy or Linda dot com? Linda L Y N D A. Linda with a Y instead of an I dot com for the the coaching. But the Indiegogo is where <sighs> these campaigns are. I N D I E G O G O yes. dot com. And in the search box, put the word stick, then the I, letter N and find stick and find all one word, and right. you will see technology design and fascinating. Mike, is this typical of a company to be able to have 12,000 investors for almost a million dollars that fast? I wish it was typical. It's not because uh, <laughs> a lot of people think that, you know, all you have to do is uh, go to a site and post it and it'll kind of uh, do it by itself. And that's really not the case. You have to do the uh, publicity. You have to do the social media and a lot of times you have to kind of prime the pump with your friends and family. But then what happens is that once Indiegogo sees that you've got some traction, then they'll do a uh, mass emailing to people who have funded previous campaigns. Oh. And all of a sudden you go from, you know, uh, 50000 to 500000 and I like Indiegogo versus Kickstarter. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One, another, well, there's two more quite famous ones. Rocket Hub would be one and um, Kickstarter. But with Kickstarter, you have to uh, set your goal, re- uh, either reach the goal or you get nothing. And with Indiegogo, mm. if, if you set the goal, let's say you set the goal of uh, $10,000, you only raise nine, you still get the $9,000, you just pay a little premium on the amount of commission uh, to the uh, portal, Indiegogo, and they have a flexible program for PayPal. So if you raise $1,000, they send you the 1000 You get 2000 they send you the 2000 Then you can actually use the initial seed capital, hire some professional help, and then take it you know, to 10 to 20 30 40 50 or whatever. There's no limit. And even if you set a $50,000 goal, I talk to uh, companies all the time that raise five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars 
uh, and their goal is only fifty thousand. So it's there's, there's no a reason to set too high of a goal that's now, really now, a Mike, benefit. What's the? We just have a few minutes left. I want to find out what's the obligation of the, the person or the company, like the Stick and Find Technologies, that raises the money. In other words, do they? If they say to me, "I just want your money, Bonnie," and I say, "Okay, that's worth a hundred bucks," does my name appear somewhere, where, or is that up to them? Do they send me a thank you letter? What do I get? Up? Is is it tax deductible? What happens to the other side of the equation? Is wow, I'm an investor in. Stick and find technologies. Well, what do I get for it, Mike? Well, okay, you've raised some good questions. I went to a recent three-day boot camp, so I wish there were uh, one-sentence uh, answers to all of the questions. <laughs> that really, uh, the tax deduction just depends on the product and the campaign. Some are, some are not. So you have to be careful there. I just don't want to give anybody any uh, bad advice. Um but basically, uh, the first part of the question, Bonnie, was what again? Oh, something about what do I get in return for my money? Let's do with that oh, yeah. one. Okay, so they list the perks, the rewards. That may, if they, if you put in uh, $10,000 to an independent film, they'll give you a credit of being a uh, executive producer, invite you down to the set, maybe even give you a little role in the film. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's all kinds of – in fact, I just talked to a soft drink company uh, today who has uh, a new form of protein water, and uh, with uh, for a $12,000 donation, you can create your own flavor protein water. Uh, they'll create it and sell it, and then uh, you, you compete with five other uh, contributors, and if your flavor wins, it becomes part of the product line. So, I'm t- you know – when you take a tool like crowdfunding and you put ego that there, creative right. tool in the hands of creative entrepreneurs, the sky is the limit. Anybody can crowdfund for anything. Interesting. Now, I've been approached twice by crowdfunders. One is somebody I know who's a, a wonderful young jazz singer who's looking to cut a professional CD, and it requires money. But I got the personal pitch, and in it she said, I'll give you two signed copies of this, and you get a bag with my logo on it, blah, 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 and you get it, you know, all that stuff. Then another one was a relative who was raising money for a small independent film that his son was making and I got a personal email and I said to myself what the hell is this why would I want to put money in that family's great but that's not where my money was going at that point in time so I was not aware of crowdfunding and it just hit me between the eyes and I said I don't think so but I was intrigued so now I understand that was part of the crowdfunding wave is that right Mike yeah absolutely in fact um the people I'm talking to, the experts all believe unanimously, and these are people from Wall Street to Main Street, and uh, that crowdfunding is going to usher in a new era of unprecedented affluence in America. When uh, mom and pop, instead of deciding to go out to dinner or an extra night with the family a month, take a hundred bucks, put it into a local startup. Uh, you know, somebody maybe they know in town or whatever, and all of a sudden they are uh, funding a new startup, maybe creating a new job, maybe even just creating your own job. Uh, so I, I really believe that, you know, the more, see, 72%, according to Experian's uh, recent poll, 72% of small business owners don't know crowdfunding exists. If mm-hmm. that's true for 
for small business owners. Imagine how many Americans don't know it existed. So I'm really trying to get everybody to realize the benefit of all Americans becoming the torchbearer of crowdfunding to create new jobs, new businesses, and new affluence here in America. I think those are all admirable goals, Mike Hayes. Now, speaking of admirable goals, we're down to four minutes and 41 seconds left before the end of the show, and you don't know what's coming at the end. I'm going to coach you in just a minute. But, Mike, why don't you do a little shameless promotion now? What's up for you next? And then we'll ask Judy. So I'll give you a minute, Mike. What's coming up for Mike Hayes? Well, I think I'd like to invite everybody to uh, go to my Twitter crowdfunding Actually, it's at Crowd Success. It's about crowdfunding success stories. I interview people about their crowdfunding campaigns. I do case studies. This is all for free. I want to motivate people to see how their fellow Americans are raising money, starting jobs, creating new solutions to innovative products. Like I had the idea of calling up an uh a SWAT team uh, company uh, down in uh, L.A. after the school shooting to see if school uh, PTAs could crowdfund for the SWAT team uh, shields for teachers. And so, I mean, it's just there's no limit to the creativity that you can do. And I think if you'll, what I'd really ask your audience for is to go to crowdfunding. Uh, success stories on Twitter. If you search crowdfunding success on Twitter, I'm there now. At, I'm there at mm-hmm. crowdfunding success. Uh, you know, retweet some of my tweets if you find them interesting, and check out um, startupamericannews.org where you find a lot of information about crowdfunding success. And then help me spread the word. Retweet my free tweets and listen to the crowdfunding success stories, and together we can crowdfund this new era, or even crowdsource, I should say, this new era of unprecedented affluence. Thank you, Mike, and thanks for tweeting, appearing now on Bonnie Graham's Read My Lips radio show, and I'm go- I retweeted it already, and I'm going to tweet that again with the hashtag for Blog Talk Radio and with a link to today's show. I appreciate that. And Judy Schmilars, tell me what's next for you, my dear. I can give you about a minute as well. Okay, well, I am in the process of working on an app, and um if your audience will go to my website, they can also download uh, a free copy of the workbook that's um, in my book. And I, you know, they will have to put in their email address, and I will save it when the app comes out. It will be, as I say, it's in the process right now of being modified and changed, and it's an exciting app that uh, I don't want to talk too much about right now, but it's, it's going to be about communicating. And Wonderful. Everything that we spoke about on the show, it's in there, and it will help people in, to get going with uh, their conversations. Thank you, and Judy. Really I appreciate that, that very much. I'm excited to have both of you. We've got about 43 seconds. Well, so we, by the time I say the word seconds, we're down five seconds more. I'm going to put the outro music on in just a moment. This is a self-service switchboard. Excuse me, but you know that. 
There you go. 30 seconds left according to the timekeeper. And I'm going to ask Mike Hayes and Judy Schmilaris to both take a very deep breath when I say go. And we're going to wish happy beginnings and happier endings to everybody within our, our earshot and everybody within our viewing audience on Blog Talk Radio. Look for me, Bonnie D. Graham. The show is Read My Lips. And we're going to send that message of love out to everybody. Crowdfunding beginnings and pre-planning beginnings of endings. Everybody should be happier. Here we go. Okay, kids. So we're going to do the moi kiss, and you're going to do it so that you're going to see if you can hold the moi longer than I am. Let me start the music here, and here we go. Okay, Mike and Judy, deep breath, and see if you can out outlast me. Here we go. Come on, Mike. Hold it, hold it. Angry bees, come on. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you for joining me here on Read My Lips, a.k.a. Radio Red. C'est moi. Je pense donc je suis. And Mike Hayes and Judy Schmielar, thank you so much for being my guest. Learned a lot. I feel so much better now about a lot of things. All the best to both of you. I'll see you right here next week on Read My Lips. And obit to Matthew Crawley on Downton Abbey. Sorry to see you go, Dan Stevens. Best wishes. We'll talk to you next week right here on Read My Lips. Lips. Bye, Mike. Bye, Judy. Bye. 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 Bye.